0: So, to our final guest, he caught the train up here specially. I'm sure there's a direct train to Shoreditch from Cornwall, um, where his new novel, his 14th, is set. And. Patrick Gale, I have to say, is reading this book here tonight for the very first time, which makes you incredibly lucky. Um, And continuing our theme of, ooh, that's a bit heavy, but ultimately Um, (laughs) life-enhancing. Father Father Barnaby Thomas's cosy life in serene Cornish parish are shattered when Lenny Barnes commits suicide in front of him in the first chapter. The book, I have to say, is as artful and elegant as the rest of his writing and the man himself. Please prepare yourself for a perfectly good man, Patrick Gale.
1: Gosh. Well, hello. Um, Is this, this, can you hear me? Is that all right? Um, This novel is, is, um, It's not a sequel to my earlier novel, Notes from an Exhibition, but it it is a kind of echo chamber. It's a parallel novel. So it's set at the same time in an adjoining parish, whereas Notes from an Exhibition was set in Penzance. This is set in a really grotty mining, or ex-mining now, village um, between Penzance and St. Ives called Pendine. And if you mention Pendine to my neighbors, they all pull faces and make jokes, because it's a bit like Belgium. Or, uh, you know, there's always, you know in Belgium there'll be a joke where the Belgians make jokes about the people in that village. Or Pendine is that place, it's everyone marries their cousins and um, they have lantern-jawed children, that sort of thing. <laughs> and this book shows it's not like that at all. Um, whereas uh, Notes from an Exhibition was about a woman who more or less destroys her family by being uh, a genius and mad, um, This is about, I thought it was only fair to women to make it about a a man who virtually destroys his family. And the man in this case isn't a a brilliant artist, but um, he is a priest. And I was interested to see what that would do to a family dynamic, to have a father who who thought that um, God was sort of in the room with you all the time, even when you were having sex and things like that. I mean, not with your father, I mean with your husband. (laughs) Anyway, um, because I've never read from this before, apart from to a very select group of students and Miss Tiffany Murray here, um, I, I have no idea really which bit to read to you. So I'm going to be democratic and give you a vote. I'm going to give you a choice between hearing a bit about the really, really evil person at the heart of the book, or hearing the very last chapter, which is kind of the beginning of the story. So, hands up if you want to hear about the really nasty man. God, London is so tough. Okay. I'm not even going to ask who wants to hear about the other. One. Okay. Right. So, I, I realized oh, there's one nice person here. Are you single? He's not giving anything away. Um, Okay, you can't really write a book about a priest without, without balancing it out with somebody nasty. Um, and originally this book was going to be called Good People, which would have been ironic because of this character. Um, I had to change the title because HarperCollins suddenly realized they were publishing a crime novel called Good People this month. So um, I, I obliged by changing the title. This, this man is called Modest, only that's not his real name. Um, he's a sex offender. He, he raped Uh, A girl, he used to teach, um, a sixth former, and has done time in prison, and has ended up living in um, one of the nastiest places from my childhood, really, um, Portsmouth. Anyone here from Portsmouth? (laughs) (laughs) Portsmouth makes Pendine look really nice. Um, But I had great fun googling Portsmouth, and I just googled nastiest district in Portsmouth, and there were all these people saying where it should be. It was great. Anyway, um, okay, so he is, he is now, this man modest is now, imme- I want you to picture somebody who's immensely fat and bald and rather underwashed and just generally disgusting. Um, and he is working as a, um, a second-hand bookseller and a, a sort of part-time pornographer. <laughs> I'm not making this up, it's true. <laughs> and then something rather bad happens to him and he is, he is beaten up. And now I've lost my place. Here we go. His eyes had closed up, he realized now, and made him temporarily blind. It was a young voice, low-educated officer class, if it was a sailors. He felt a hand on his shoulder holding him firmly in place. An ambulance is coming, the voice said. You're safe now. Did they rob you? No, modest managed. You're bleeding quite a lot. I'm going to give you a handkerchief, and you need to pinch it hard across the bridge of your nose if you can bear to. Not sure I can... Here, I'll guide your hand. A folded handkerchief was pressed into his hand. Then his hand was guided to the middle of his face by large fingers, which then clutched his into position. The pain grew no worse, so perhaps there was no fracture. Modest felt a great desire to sleep come upon him. No, said the priest. You need to stay with me, I'm afraid, in case you've got concussion. What's your name? Modest. How wonderful! Like Mazorgsky and Tchaikovsky's brother. Yes, Modest Carlson. Are you Swedish? No one had ever asked this before. It made it so easy. Half and half Russian. Your English is very good. I've lived here all my life. I was born in Bayswater. <laughs> and where do you live now? Alloway Avenue. Nastiest road in Portsmouth. Alloway Avenue. (laughs) So you were nearly home. That was bad luck. Yes. Why did they hit you? I wouldn't die for queen and country. Aha, that's a new one. Me neither. I'm a terrible coward, and I've got flat feet, and I'm a priest. We're much more useful alive, in any case. Nature's stretcher bearers. Modest was going to ask him his name, but suddenly the ambulance arrived, and a policewoman, and the priest explained briefly that he had seen nothing, just found him, which surely was not quite the truth. Then he gave Modest's shoulder a quick squeeze and murmured, God watches you, Modest. All will be well, and seemed to melt away as other voices and other hands took over. When he told them he was a childless widower, the nurses insisted on keeping him in overnight for observation. He needed stitches to the back of his head, a nurse laid a deliciously cool dressing across his nose and eyes to reduce the swelling, but even so, when he could see again properly come morning, he found that his fat face now looked monstrously swollen. A consultation of the section on, the sec- uh, a consultation of the section on stains in the Reader's Digest household manual, a book which, like the New Testament, he had impulsively removed from stock for his own uses, told him the trick with blood-stained linen was to soak it in brine. He was not particularly interested in hygiene, beyond the preservation of books, but he was due to take a wash to the laundrette, and salt happened to be one of the few cooking ingredients he had in his possession. There was something satisfactorily symbolic, too, in redeeming his shirt from the previous night's outrage, and in being able to watch the blood slowly lift away, as though any lasting wound went with it down the plug hole. The next day, he bundled shirt and handkerchief, still wet, into the hold hall with his rather smelly laundry. When he retrieved it that evening from the Percy-lipped Lord Rett attendant, who resented him for not paying extra to have things ironed, the handkerchief was revealed as sporting a dark blue embroidered B in one corner. He had an M1 just like it, a long-ago Christmas present from his daughter, Lily, which miraculously had been waiting for him in the pocket of his court case suit, when it was handed back to him on his release. He was tempted to keep it, naturally. But the Jesus dreams began to trouble him again, and he sensed the two things were connected. I gave you my hanky, the honey-voiced Jew kept saying. I died for queen and country, and you gave me nothing in return. Thy paths drop fatness. On and on, until modest began to punch and kick him. Eventually, he began investigating churches around Paul's Grove and then further afield in Cosham and Porchester, rarely far from the dreary thunder of the M27. He held a picture of the priest in his head, of course, but all he actually had to go on was his distinctive voice and the feel of his hands and the letter B. He knew this was foolish (coughs) behaviour, erratic even, but the challenge of it diverted him from his aching face And he was obsessive by design, one of nature's librarians. He had come to realize this, systematic and relentless in seeing a task through to its conclusion. And then he felt inhibited about simply showing up and asking questions, so he attended services as a cover for his research. One church, one Sunday at a time. In a few weeks, he was forgetting even to take the handkerchief with him, to hand over should he find the right priest. The Anglican cathedral was too pale and impersonal. The Catholic one too full of trinkets, like a common Christmas tree. The Methodists felt too low. The Happy Clappy Brigade friendly in a worrying way. The Christian scientists felt insufficiently like a church. The United Reformed too like a bank. (laughs) The Jehovah's Witnesses literature was so full of judgment and righteousness that he came no closer than the Kingdom Hall's car park. Then he lost nerve and went to the Society of Friends on Northwood Road instead. But the Quakers met in a place that didn't even pretend to be a church, and he he grew so bored by the hour's silence that he fell asleep, and then was so irritated by the kind smiles they gave him at the hour's end, that he left with gratifying rudeness, spurning with a wordless sneer their offer of coffee and biscuits. Then he found the perfect fit. It wasn't even a Sunday, but he was passing and the doors were open. It was a piece of shabby, side-street Victoriana, all pitch pine and brass memorials, the sort of place that, in a wealthier city, might have become a cinema or carpet warehouse by now, but in Portsmouth was simply limping on towards dereliction and redundancy. An old woman was arranging brutish chrysanthemums on a hideous brass pillar, the spicy scent of their discarded foliage, piled on a sheet beside her, reached him as he passed, and she offered her muted greeting. The building's blitz broken glass had been crudely replaced with not quite matching panes. There were mainly a nasty, watery green. With its unplastered brickwork and the humble, stunted proportions, the place felt like the ecclesiastical equivalent of his shop in Paul's Grove, unloved, undervisited. Can I help you? The woman had followed him and timidly apologized for making him jump. The next service isn't until Sunday, she said. I'm afraid our congregation's so small now that there's only one even song a week, and that was yesterday, and it's only spoken now. I'll come back on Sunday, then, he told her. What's the vicar here like, by the way? Oh, young Mr. Johnson, she said, and her unremarkable face briefly lit up. He's lovely. We were terribly lucky to get him. We've been making do with all sorts of people, some of them not suitable at all. As if feeling she had said quite enough, she returned to her flowers. When he returned on the following Sunday morning, there were barely 20 people present. The same woman handed him his prayer book and hymnal as he entered. He sat well apart before he noticed that everyone else seemed to have done the same. This was a church for the private and single, apparently. The priest was by some way the youngest person in the room, so even had he not been good-looking, his presence would have carried a certain charge. Modest was immune to male beauty. What he found compelling was vulnerability. From the moment he began to give out suitably threadbare parish notices, young Mr. Johnson was laying himself wide open to mockery. The other priests Modest had been studying on Sunday's past were absurd sometimes, often even, with their robes and posturing and portentousness. Most drew a defensive haughtiness about them as though judging before they be judged. This man, by contrast, gave the impression of having no such defensive lair, but radiated an innocent certainty. His was the unquestioning belief of a child, like belief in Father Christmas, or fairies, or a mother's beauty, or a father's love. This was belief that compelled one to fall in with it and follow, because to do otherwise would be a kind of cruelty. As they were all filing out and handing back their prayer books and hymnals, the flower ranger greeted him again. That was a very good service, he told her. We're so lucky to have him, she said. I'm sorry, what was your vicar's first name again? He asked, although she hadn't said. Barnaby, she said. Barnaby Johnson, I hope we'll see you again. As at the altar rail, Modest managed to be the last in line at the door. Before he shook Johnson's hand, he handed him back the handkerchief. It was immediately evident that Johnson remembered the incident, but not the face that went with it. How are you? he asked, concerned. I should have recognized you straight away. Perhaps with a bloody nose I'd have looked more familiar, Modest said, and they shared a laugh. Let me introduce you, the priest said. This is Patience, who's attended this church all her life, so could always tell me who people are or where things belong. How do you do, said an elegant old woman in a purple summer coat. What's your name? Modest, he told her. Modest Carlson. Of course it is, Mr. Johnson said. I remember now you had a Swedish father and a Russian mother. Full marks, Modest said, and they all laughed again. Well, I do hope you come back, Mr. Johnson added. Now that you know where we are, patience will show you the ropes. She knows everything about everybody. The old woman clucked to herself and batted a hand at him, so it was plain she was as deeply in love as the rest of them. Mr. Johnson had slipped away, clearly an adept at parishioner evasion. The old woman had fixed on Barnaby a gaze of comfortless inquiry. Would you care for a sherry? she asked. Modest noticed her magnificent amethyst brooch and accepted. Patience, Miss Boyle, lived in a house that would easily have accommodated a family of six. She lived alone, curator to what was in effect a museum to her parents. Born to expect more out of life than Portsmouth, her mother had married a dashing naval officer and somehow become stranded there on his death. She had left their sole child not only the guardian of a houseful of treasures and memories, but the sole repository of a lifetime of prejudice and suspicion. Bitter in outlook and acid of tongue, Patience Boyle had not been granted even the compensation of a husband and children, and now had no friends. We have a friend in Jesus, she told Modest, with startlingly naked cynicism. She appeared to accept him entirely at face value. It also seemed that for all his carefulness, she recognized in him a kindred spirit, another lost soul. He grew pleasantly dizzy on her excellent wine society sherry, while she regaled him with unflattering portraits of every member of the congregation. All were found to be hypocrites in some way or other, neither as sweet nor as pious as they had appeared. It's a good thing you found me first, she said. Saved you so much time and effort. It's terrible. When you read from a book for the first time, as Tiffany can attest, you, you, you suddenly realize, oh my god, I said that? That's wrong. That's wrong. And <laughs> I wish I had a pencil here to make changes, but uh,
0: no. Um, Modest is a monster, and patience is a witch. Is. Um, um, patience is patience isn't in there for that long. No, I rather missed her. Oh, I know. I th- I she feel, might, come she might come back. <laughs> like, yes. She might come back, won't she? Because she's so brilliantly dreadful. Um, but 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 modest is 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 truly evil. And what I think is really interesting about that the the extract um, that you chose is that he's cast as the victim there. Um, and if and if you know and, and and on its own, it's you know, it's if you'd not prefaced it, it's you know, somebody's been attacked in the street by. Bunch of sailors which on the face of it could be quite exciting um but but you know and and he and and he's a kind of a victim but he you know and the priest helps him and all the rest of it and and i remember reading it and feeling angry with you for making me feel sympathetic for towards modest because um he's he is and i have to say quite the most evil character that i've read in a novel. For some
1: years. Well, he's the most evil one I've ever written. I mean, I don't normally do nasty. He is despicable. And I mean, I don't kind of want to give away too many spoilers, but no. But it's, uh, you, we can we can uh, we can say that he is a sort of stalker. Um, yes. I mean, he. His life is given meaning by that encounter with Barnaby Johnson and it suddenly gives him a direction and a purpose in life. Well, he goes after him in he, he wants to destroy him. Really and so.
0: find a flaw in him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's interesting about, about the title, and you were saying that it, it was supposed to be perfect people? Mm-hmm. Good people. Mm-hmm. Good people. Um, and it's not a perfectly good man, but he's not, he's not perfect, Barnaby, yeah. but he is good. Mm-hmm. I think and what, what Modest wants to find is the imperfection. Mm-hmm. And when he finds the imperfection, I have to say it is lethal right? That's fair to yeah, say? Yeah, For one of the much. characters, yes, yes. at least. Somebody dies. Um, somebody <laughs> dies. Actually, a
1: lot of people die in this book. It's one, one of the most death-ridden books I've I ever read. Oh, I know! Think, I think we've got two miscarriages, uh, no, three miscarriages. Um, two, a, a kind of, a a kind rape, of murder, more a than tev- three yeah, rapes. You know, rapes. Yeah, several rapes, that's true. It's tough, it's tough, it's but then that's what priests are for, is to make all those things... You know, put the last blast on them. Then. I was going to say, or do all those things. <laughs> yes. But you are
0: quite. You are. You. You, you
1: are You're a Catholic <laughs> after all. Well, yeah. I, am, I am half
0: Catholic. The top half is Catholic. Um, but um, <laughs> it's ba- it's ba- it's it's barely it's barely, it, 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 actually you're very good about that because I I think the thing that's that, you know it's ha- you know Father Barnaby is a is a, is a priest and you sort of think. The things that the other characters in the novel think but what's great is is that they voice that and so they say he's not he's not a priest that hates women he's not a kind of pedo priest and we begin to build up a picture of him that he's actually a man, a good man Yes, and and it's crucial to
1: see him through the eyes of the women in his life his his wife and his his And and another woman who's rather keen on him and his daughter. Yes, Yes. Nuala
0: More more on her in a minute Now, so your your novel starts with sort of the scenario that Jojo explores, which is I feel like you've, you've taken a scenario and explored all I, I think Jojo and I both down. read the same
1: article in The Guardian <laughs> <laughs> four years ago, because my book does begin, I mean, he was one of the starting points. I mean, I come from a rugby manned end of the county. I mean, West Cornwall is a bit like Wales, and it's not a football place at all. It's so a rugby place. John would hate it. It's very much a rugby place. And so you do get hideous accidents regularly, um, and that was, you know, one or two, and it, I got to thinking having read that story, okay, what happens if you're a lad from West you are he's not a quadriplegic, he's a paraplegic but he wouldn't have the money to go to Dignitas, I researched the Dignitas thing, I researched all the options, I went to all these hideous, um, very spooky websites where you can find out the means to kill yourself in great detail um, Cause and I had, I had to find, yes, I had to find a, a, a method he could both do and afford, and he couldn't afford to go to Switzerland, but um, you can yeah. afford veterinary nembitol from, from Brazil. So, yeah. Mexico. Mexico, sorry, yeah, somebody corrected me on that one. <laughs> I read the book, you <laughs> read the book.
0: Um, <laughs> so, but, but that's, kind of, that's, that's the start of the book and in a way, you, you know, that, that's the opening chapter. What, what happens, and it's, it's, it's quite a long book, but and and I have to say it is a fine book because there are no strands that aren't left drawn together towards the end. And Rachel Kelly, I think, is one of the sweetest strands. Do you want to talk a lot about that? Oh
1: yeah, well that, that's the, when I said this book is a sort of echo chamber and it's an exhibition. I, I find often in my books I'll, I'll write a character who's slightly either underwritten or just not quite finished. And I end up worrying about them terribly after I finished the book. And I realised I was worrying desperately about Rachel Kelly's daughter, Mulwenna, um, who, for those of you who haven't read Notes from Exhibition, and I'm sure lots of you haven't, it, it's she's a girl who's inherited her mother's bipolar disorder uh, but not her genius. So she and she's not medicating and the last we see of her in Notes and Exhibition, she's basically heading for an almighty kind of mental breakdown. Um, And and she's just tried to commit suicide yet again. And I I found I was worrying and worrying about more and what had happened to her. And so I I brought her back in this book, and her father, don't give away really too much of the story. Well, you she, kind of, you kind of. She does get a, up. she does get a nice. She provides a nice, big, fat lesbian happy ending, for the book, which, is, um,
0: which I think it's you need after all those deaths and miscarriages. Oh, only a lesbian could yeah. fix the problems that you, <laughs> know, you could make. And she, and there's, and there's, that's, make that's it. a
1: seriously practical lesbian. In this yes, book. there is. I, I kind of want her as my sister. she's... I think this is what writers do. I think we re- 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 write ourselves our imaginary friends and our imaginary siblings. Do you have a sister? Do you have I one do one have one? a sister, but she's, she's just sent me an email saying, would oh. I bring a spanner with me to mend her bathroom tap? So oh. no. She's definitely not a <laughs> lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> Very disappointing. <laughs> and so you, you talk about the
0: landscape. I mean, when, when, <laughs> when I think of Cornwall, I think of, you know, Mandalay again, and I think of, you know, kind of... You know, that that sort of kind of biscuit tin type Cornwall. This is, Cornwall. This, this is not that kind of no, Cornwall. No. And you, you moved there in what, 86? 80,
1: something like that, 88. 88 long, I think. Time yeah, ago. long time ago. Did you move there And I've been own? moving steadily west. No, I, I moved there for love, and um, that didn't work out, but I got left behind with the house. <laughs> so handy. Um, well, that was my house, I have to say. But I only, bought, I only bought it because of him. <laughs> anyway. Um, and then, and then, and then I, I fell in love with a, a Cornish farmer who lived at the far end of Cornwall. And, Hot! Um, yeah. 100%. And actually, it was a very, very early internet romance. We, we met online when, when most people still have computers driven by, by steam. Did it dial up? It, was it kind of like...
0: <laughs> it was a dial-up connection.
1: It was definitely a dial-up connection. And it kept, I kept losing the connection because this is Cornwall. And he's not as other gay farmers. Um, when... when it rapidly became clear that he was a huge fan of the epistolary novels of Fanny Burney. And I bet oh! I bet not many of you have read Fanny we love Burney. Fanny and yeah. and so our our email romance, we were both very shy, and our email romance, you know, we went on and on and on before we dared meet, and it turned into a parody of a Fanny Burney novel. <laughs> so he would send me these lovely emails pretending they had been carried by a handsome steward on horseback all the way from Lands End. And I would write back saying, Yeah, you know, James arrived slightly tired and bruised and muddy and I'm giving him a bath and I'll send him back tomorrow. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got a big fat file of these emails. How many gay farmers uh, are there in Cornwall? <laughs> well, funny enough, there are quite a lot. They, they don't know each other, but when civil partnerships have been going for a year and the government finally had figures to draw on, we were amazed to discover that West Penwith is second, second only to Brighton and Manchester Shut for, up. for the concentration... <laughs> Okay, and lesbian partners. So, I reckon what happens is they meet, they marry, and they, they just go and breed poodles, and you never see them again. <laughs> yeah, they're all hiding there. We see them when we go to the local auction house in Penzance, which is fantastic, and when they have a, viewings. You suddenly see, oh, here they all are. You know? <laughs> the girls are all out in the front looking at the vintage cars and the sort of heavy farm machinery. <laughs> the boys are all inside saying, oh, this would look lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like
0: relocation, relocation, relocation. Why yeah. she can't move there fast enough? <laughs> now, so, 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 so you're you're down on the farm with Aiden. Are you, are you single. Do you want me to find? No, you no, 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 no. no, 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 I'm not single. No, no, I'm not single. I'm off that old esque shelf.
1: <laughs> Not single, but mischievous. Yes, yes, right, yes. Okay. yes very so you want to buy
0: Curious so Farmer. Judgy, so judgy. <laughs> so, 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 so it's, it's, I mean, I'm trying to understand what happens on the farm. So, so there's beef. <laughs> and we there's, wear, we and wear a lot of rubber in and, the winter. And
1: there's, there's beef and there's Broccoli. No, no more broccoli. No that bro- website, whatever website you found that from, was out of date. We stopped. So you used to Tesco- broccoli to we used praise. to grow, grow, grow. To, yes, for Tesco's and Sainsbury's, Tesco's. but they drove such a hard bargain. We now, okay. we now rent the land to someone else to do broccoli on. We just do beef. 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 and barley. Manly. Yeah. Um, and, so, so <laughs> and I am fully in touch with my inner Soviet lesbian. Okay. I can now reverse a tractor and trailer around a corner with the best of them. Now that's very interesting because there in there, there's a
0: lot of stuff in the novel about those kind of gender roles and Father Barnaby mm. is slightly emasculated by his wife Dorothy because she can do all that stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. she's kind of servicing a lawnmower on the table and then she bakes a sponge, has a baby, yeah. and he's sort of going <laughs> up, and he, no it's sure, and then he kind of goes around and sort of gives somebody absolution yeah. and maybe has an affair, well, pri- yes. Well,
1: priests priests tend to be quite hopeless around the house because they're good at other things, and and farmers' daughters tend to be incredibly good around the house because yeah. they've had to be. So I loved Dorothy as a character. I and felt very guilty about Dorothy because she gets immensely fat early on and then stays fat. And, and my rather si- my rather editor said when we were re- you know doing the tweaks. Um, does she have to be so big? And I thought, well, yes, because it's sort of, I looked around me. I went to the local WIs a few times, um, and, and you know, they eat a lot of cake in West Cornwall. It's cold, <laughs> what can I say? Why did you choose such an
0: ugly bit of Cornwall when there are so many pretty bits? Well, of... it's
1: not ugly, but it's ugly. It's not, it's, it's, it's beautiful when you know it, but it's, not a, it's a place tourists would drive through quite fast. It's very, very dramatic. Oh, is there a Cornish person? Like Red Ruth and Cambod. Yes, I've done that in an earlier novel. Yes, another, another grim bit. But actually, the grim bits of Cornwall are the hidden jewels. They're the bits where you, you know it's tourist-free, even in high summer, and you can go for a lovely walk. Are you in a party. nice grim bit. I'm in a really lovely bit. We, we have a gold star We have a gold footpath across our farmyard, it's a nightmare, so we have a lot of people walking. So you've got Madonna walking across your footyard, <laughs> you're just like, back off. Um, I wanted to ask you, because it's, it's LGBT History
0: Month this month, and you're very often identified as a kind of gay writer. And I have just turned 50, so you I'm having you know, a little you? bit happy of history. Birthday no. yeah. Happy birthday to her, happy birthday to her. Thank
1: you, it's too late to dye my hair now.
0: I like the salt and pepper. It's working for you. Um, so, what, what, what do you? How do you feel about being identified,
1: uh, maybe as part of that history or as part of that genre? I'm very, very happy. There's a, there's a new friend I have here who um, works for a television company who admitted to me that it's all my fault. He's gay because when he's sickeningly young, as everyone in television is, and he said he was staying in a holiday house as a teenager and found one of my early novels on a the bookshelf Which there, the little bits of baby, right. and it made him gay. So I've, I've, so I've said to him, I want to meet your mother so I can say sorry. <laughs> but, uh, I think that
0: should be on the curriculum. Yeah. Um, yeah. But,
1: but you've, you've written a
0: biography of Armistead Mopin. It's I have. Mopin, you pronounced
1: Mopin. it right. Well I done.
0: It's, I remember because I went to an Armstead Mopin meeting and he said it's Mopin, like mopping the floor, not yes. I taught him to say that. Oh,
1: did you? Yes, because he was always getting it wrong. We've and, come through yeah. his own name. Yeah. Well, no, he, he, he never came up with the right analogy. And I said, Armstead, you've got to think of the maid in Tom and Jerry. Mopin yeah. the floor. Mop in the floor and then people will get it right. Has there. he been down to Cornwall to Europe? Once he was very cold and he left quite fast. Did <laughs> he? couldn't get sushi? He hasn't been to things. the farm actually i need to get him back again because I think he'd find the farm quite sexy and his, his husband is into extreme sports so our, our two husbands can go and surf together and we'll lie on sofas and smoke dope and <laughs> <laughs> eat cake.
0: just. Um, you know that they've just released the Tales of the City as as e-books. Did you yes. Yes. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm asking you a question here. Is it the same? Is, is the same
1: book segmented in a different way. It's not new books. It's no. It's the same old books. But there's another one coming. There's an Madrigal novel coming up. Is there? Yes. Madrigal is going to go to what's that incredibly hip outdoor festival, Burning Man. Burning Man. Burning Man. Burning Man slash Women. So yes. Yeah, so I just rang up the other day and said, did we want? Did Aidan and I want to join him and, and go to Burning Man in an SUV? <laughs> But it clashes with the barley harvest, so, <laughs> so But That's no, Anna is going, going to get a Burning Man. And she'll so. probably die there, because she's quite old now. She's but. quite
0: decrepit. I mean, she's yeah. nearly died several times. Mm. I have <laughs> to say, I did not love Michael Tolliver Lev's I was not happy with that book. <sighs> but, most recently, I read the new one in San Francisco, and yeah. completely, I felt... Yeah. Well, was, he
1: needed to get back into the multiple viewpoint. Then. Yes. Mm. Yes. And it was too, sort of, much
0: about him, I felt. Yes, and um, he got a bit bitter and angry, yeah. and, yeah. I'm glad you agree about yeah. that. I haven't dared tell him that, though. No, well, he'll so, find out on <laughs> he'll find iTunes. He'll now. Um, <laughs> so tell us about this TV series, which which is in the orphan, because after converting the man in television, well, my you've God, made him my give film a TV agent is here, and
1: I'm not sure I'm even allowed to talk about it yet because we haven't signed the contract. Just talk about it a little bit. I'll talk about it in completely... Okay. She's not listening. No, I'll talk about it in completely theoretical terms. I have been approached to write an original drama series. It's a three-parter, and... Um, Basically, it's totally my idea. So I said, well, I want to do three separate stories, one set in the Second World War, just after, one set in the 1980s, and one set now. And they will be linked because I want the same actors to play the two men, one of their mothers and one of their straight female best friend, and a waspish older gay as well. So you can watch those five roles Changing through the through time as well, so it's sort of a gay history, but it's not. And what's so interesting I found about it as as I'm developing the storylines, I'm finding, as always with my books, it's not really the sex that interests me; it's the friendship with the women. The women are threatening to take over the asylum rather. Um, And that's for the BBC.
0: Yes, it is. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) 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 questions. Sylvia. Hello. No, this is something. Oh, I, this is something bridge. I don't know. And this is a kind of about his 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 past wanting to have an equity He's a cardinal, recovering so bridge so addict. He's a recovering bridge addict. Now I have I I slightly can play bridge, but you still play? Oh, if no one
1: wants to play tonight, you can come back to my hotel. We'll oh, go. but bring cards. I haven't got. That's 250 yes. bridge players. No, That's I'm, quite I'm, a few I'm hands. A, I'm not such a recovering addict. Um, what make what makes a good bridge player? It's quite like
0: queenie. It's quite queenie. No, it's
1: not queenie. It's it f- is. it's. Well, you obviously play with the wrong people. Okay. But it's very sexy. This is what people don't get about bridge, because to be good at bridge, you have to be very good at non-verbal communication, and and a bit telepathic. And um... no, oh, I love it. <laughs> it's, no, it's not clean. It it's is. Queen. I, mean, I mean, I do some. Of, I play some very lovely bridge with 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 gay friends, and they always do fantastic fish pie. And, <laughs> Um, and martinis, that and then you... the, the somebody all becomes that the stuff. dummy but, so they can go make drinks. But actually some of the sexiest games I've had have been with, with officially straight men. Omar um, Sharif, uh, of yeah, course, is the yeah. most famous. and I think it's, it's, just, it's to do with that non-verbal thing. You know, it's just, yeah. somebody, somebody's losing it Someone's Somebody's totally <laughs> losing it. I think she just got a text from a friend. There's nothing to do with she's it. Co- <laughs> she's completely over <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, um, another...
0: another oh, yes, you. Sorry, Kathy. Hi. Hey.
1: Yes. I saw that your dad was <laughs> a prison He was, as was my grandfather, the one that wasn't a priest.
0: Yeah. Did, did, did uh, growing uh, up in that so environment, me just did, did growing up in the kind of environment with, with, you, with your dad being a prison governor, did that influence in any way the way that you wrote the character who's a sex offender?
1: He's not the only criminal in the book. But, but you're asking if it actually influenced me and my personality? Or, or your or
0: writing of the character? Right
1: because I should explain, um, I'm, I'm because I'm so old, um, in my childhood if your father was a prison governor that meant you lived in the prison. This, this all changed in the 1970s but in the 60s you lived in the prison so you had daily contact with the prisoners. They worked in the house, in the garden, um, I, I still I have this Proustian recall, if I get a whiff of turpentine <laughs> I'm back there. because. Slightly unwashed men, en masse, smell a bit like turpentine. It's an amazing yeah. thing, and, and you used to get the smell when the doors opened. You could, you could so, what, when you say they were in the and house in the garden, what were they, were they like? Your slave? the trustees? No, they were trustees. They kind of yes, actually. My mother, my mother never had to get a tradesman until she was in her forties, because she always had someone from the prison to come and do everything. They were oh, right. plumbers and decorators and curtain makers and everything. Um, and my father believed very much that the prisoners must must learn trades and you. Know, be, be made into useful men rather than just punished. So, mm. And back then, the prisons weren't so crowded. Of course, now it's impossible to do any of that stuff. And you certainly wouldn't have a children and a, and a wife or husband living with you on the job. But, but, it, but it definitely influenced me. I think it made me completely hooked on institutional life. I, I, when I went to boarding school, I, was, I, I got it immediately. Um, I just thought, oh well it's prison, it's fine. And and i and and I I grew up with a uh, I've had a lifelong obsession with nun nun books. I love novels about nuns and and I in fact I can I don't know if any of you know a wonderful novelist called Patricia Dunker. She and I were once on a panel like this, and somebody asked us what our guilty pleasure was. And we discovered that her guilty pleasure was novels about men in submarines. And and mine was nuns. And we decided the one thing this had in common was the faint whiff of an underwashed body, perhaps. (laughs) But I, they're black narcissists, I'm just there. You know. Yeah, you see, you get it. It's, it's and, and there's a wonderful Sylvia Townsend Warner, Warner novel called The Corner That Held Them. And please, BBC, ask me to adapt that for television because it's <laughs> such a good book. And it's so sexy and it's funny and it's all about control and strict women and very good tailored... Costumes. Of the, uh, <laughs> so. All right, all right. And,
0: and the killing of and Sister this, George? This is all because of Ronnie Biggs. Yeah, the, the, the killing of Sister George? Killing of Sister George. It's too much for you.
1: Well, yeah, no, that's mm. just that's yeah. just overacting.
0: For
1: oh. It's a very noisy I can't, film. The
0: black narcissist in the country. The yeah, black narcissist is wonderful. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, oh, sister Ruth, it's sister Ruth. Sister Ruth's the posh one, the posh one who gets the frock. Yes, sister Ruth is the one who, a fan, puts on the red dress. Yes, yes, and wears the red dress. And she's... And then, and she's but it's very, very well acted because her accent is slightly so posher than Deborah Carr's. The,
0: the nun from Tatler's getting out of control. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll take another question. But well, it's That's a it.
1: fantastic. I'll see you later. We'll, we'll have a moment later. Were you convent educated? Yeah, there was a hand over here. Oh, Neither was I, and I was so jealous of my big sister who was. Me, can, you can, you, men can't be. Could you
0: be convent educated? No? Oh, I could do it. Yeah. Could do it. <laughs> you could perhaps do it now. I'd be
1: beating on the doors I, to be let in. I, I, ha- I have to yeah. say
0: that, that there's a kind of. I mean, oh God, I, I love Marilyn Robinson and there's a, there are moments in the book where I feel like I'm with her, but I feel like I'm with her and she's got a sense of humour and she's having a good time, which um, is, is a bit of a revelation. Has the book been, well it's just coming out, but has it been Looked at yet from a kind of filmic point of view or a telly point of view? It's
1: it's being looked at as we speak. But yes. Yasmin Yasmin is, is laughing but looking slightly tense. So. Okay. Well, the agent um, the agent yeah, has the final yeah. word.
0: Well, I'm 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 going to leave there because I actually I don't want to tell you any more about the book. But I I do have to emphasise it is an incredible book and I loved it. Um, I slightly hate you for the fact that we can't talk about it in detail because of the spoilers. <laughs> but I did love it and I do love him. So please thank Patrick Gale.